I'm going to just briefly introduce this morning then a series that we're going to step into for the next few weeks. We looked last week at how God, call, uh, God called Abraham, for example, and he calls us in order that he might bless us. That's just his nature. That's who he is. That's what he's like. That's what God does. He blesses. Now, he does many other things as well. Sorry, I'm trying to get the wind to behave in the midst of all this tech. Um, and, uh, and so he calls us to bless us, but also to make us a blessing, to flow through us. And we respond by seeking God. And that's never a once-off. It becomes a lifestyle. And yes, we do have those moments of arrow prayers that we have to fire off in situations. But the, the, the thing that launches an arrow prayer is the bow of a life of prayer. It's that place of communion and turning to God. And then we've seen that the offering that God provides is that which saves us. So we looked at that last week. And, and that's such a fundamental beginning point of talking and thinking about our mission. But I want to, we're going to take some, uh, several weeks to go further. Um, but, and forgive me if you're just joining, but I do need to connect the dots with the, uh, with, the, with the wider church. And maybe you can go back online and dig up some of the older sermons. But actually two years ago, January 2020, before this uh, pandemic thing, I, I mean, it had already arrived elsewhere in the world. But we had several weeks together where we were able to open up a series called Walk As Jesus Did. And uh, because it's like a 24-week series, we've always planned to do it in little blocks. So we're coming back to a new block inside the series, Walk As Jesus Did. But you need to have an understanding, of a framework for what do we mean when Walk As Jesus Did, which is um, words taken from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, which says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And it's quite simply taking Jesus seriously. Now, for example, I'm going to give us three short readings as I just wrap up this morning. The first is from John chapter 14. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So you can see very clearly Jesus is calling us to put our faith in him. And uh, later in verse 6, he says, I tell you the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he calls us to put our faith in him and to put our faith in him in a way that's completely unique to who he is and his person. And then he says this, though, in verse 12. Very truly, again, so in the original language, it's amen, amen. So amen, amen. I am the way and the truth and the life. So he emphasizes, super emphasis on his uniqueness, on the fact that he's the one who shows us how to live, how to find the truth, how to uh, get anywhere, really. And then he says, amen, amen. Whoever believes in me, so that's back to his uniqueness. We don't believe in someone else. And then he says this, something transferable flows from Jesus into them will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So the ministry of Jesus, walk as Jesus did, assumes, is meant to continue his ministry through us who've come to believe uniquely, or that he is uniquely the way, the truth, and the life. 
So there's this tension between uniqueness and transferability. And so there's this critical paradox, profound, that Jesus' identity is unique and his ministry is transferable. The problem is that we keep mixing three different questions about Jesus. The first is this, his unique identity as true God who is also fully human. Secondly, we mix up his unique work, so unique work is true God, but his unique work as the way, as the one who achieved atonement and redemption, and he did this in his humanity as what we call a representative substitute. And, and the word Messiah in the Old Testament brings that word into the New Testament. And it was through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and ascending of the Spirit, which is traditionally called the work of Christ, and nobody else in all of history has been able to do what the man Jesus has done which is atone for the sins of the world. And so John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking and the Spirit of God was on John and he recognized the Spirit, the same Spirit on Jesus. So there's this sense of transferability. Nevertheless, affirms the uniqueness of Jesus in this. A man in front of him with flesh and blood, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is not another human being. Remember, God wants to bless you and make you a blessing. That's going to make you seek God. But God alone will provide the offering that will make you right with him. Does that make sense? So his unique identity and his unique work in, in, in establishing salvation for us. But then his transferable ministry as someone fully human, in submission to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and filled and empowered by them. And this, is, this establishes how God's kingdom comes on earth through those who follow Jesus. And this establishes what discipleship looks like, and pretty much the rest of the course. In other words, there are things that are unique to Jesus, the fact that he was God. Now, we can be adopted and embraced and known and fully, the scripture says, 1 John chapter 3. You know, look, what manner of love is this? That we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That's our new identity. But there is this reality that there's this unique identity. He is the only true human, yet true God, and he is the only atoning sacrifice for sins but the ministry that flows out of that is meant to be completely transferable so Ephesians chapter 1 we read that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way in other words he wants the fullness that he experienced and manifest of who God is to now be revealed in and through his people you see, without a clear understanding of this third question, we will keep missing the essential point of Jesus' discipleship strategy. Now that you have followed me, essentially, open inverted commas, now that you have followed me, go and do what you have seen me do. 
See, we keep mixing these things up and we keep thinking that we've got to save ourselves and that what Jesus did on the earth was a complete freak show. And that there's nothing, we've got nothing in common with how he lived. Like it's just like whatever. But you know what? I better go save myself. Now let me tell you that messing those two things up will make sure that we never do a day of kingdom bringing life to anyone. You see, without this clarity, without separating those issues, Jesus is a hero, but never a realistic master. And he's never a model for how to do life. But you see, and we read it last week, and I'm going to remind you of it, Matthew chapter 11, towards the end, Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden, and I want you to take my yoke upon you. Now the yoke did refer to the rabbi's teaching, but it also came precisely from the idea that when oxen were being trained to pull together, they would take a mature, established oxen that knew how to pull the yoke, and they would take another oxen and they'd put that uh, next ox into the same yoke, and so they would pull together. And there's warnings about not being unequally yoked because everyone gets hurt. Well, the interesting thing is Jesus who wants to take you alongside himself, will never unequally yoke himself with you. In other words, you're meant to pull the kind of life that Jesus pulled. You're supposed to carry the yoke of Jesus. You're supposed to shift the things that Jesus could shift. Now, I don't know if this is blowing your mind. When I first understood what the implications of this truth is, that those who believe in me will do what I have been doing, I, I, I literally, it took me like nine months to get my head around it. Maybe a birth process and then, you know, things going. But when this comes alive, and this is what this whole series is about, every page of the gospel comes alive with demonstrations of how to apply the kingdom of God. You see, it's not that that's what happened in Jesus' life, and now God wants you to somehow work out a different way how to, how to be a Christian. No. Learn from how Jesus did it. And so we no longer need to spiritualize then because every page is literally a demonstration. We don't spiritualize healing the sick, embracing the outcast, driving out demons, loving the lost and the least. We don't spiritualize miracles over creation or human bodies or sharing of possessions or declaring that the gospel is good news for the poor. We don't have to spiritualize that. We actually believe it. We don't have to spiritualize the fact that God is going to redeem the earth, which means that ecology and green stuff actually matter. We learn to do what Jesus said and did. And as we've gone into this, there's a rediscovery of Jesus himself. Secondly, what the heart of the gospel is. Why we can't save ourselves and why that's so absolutely important but why God intends still, in spite of the fact we can't save ourselves, to save the world through us. God wants to heal the world through you and me. And so as we've learned what the heart of the gospel is and how then his love is the power that changes us. And that there's this lifestyle of being in the word and being in prayer and being in community and a bunch of other things called spiritual disciplines that gives us the spiritual access that we need to the nearness and the power of God. 
And we spend time looking at how we handle disappointment and delays and suffering. And then in the middle of last year, we spent several weeks looking at the power of ministry, all under this one umbrella that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Anyone remember all that stuff? Anyone happy we're going back to the series? Like, we are going to, okay, I mean, we could have a little bit more happy than that, guys, okay? <laughs> but there's, there's two huge concepts now, if I had my PowerPoint and we were in a place where we could actually have that and that was meaningful, I'd show you how these all fit together, but I'm going to have to wait until another time. But I want to show you that if inside, at the center point is Jesus, at the heart, like right in there where Jesus is, is this gospel of truth and grace that comes from Jesus himself, that you don't save yourself, God saves you. And it's utterly and uniquely what he does. His unique identity and his unique salvation is at the very center of what we do. But then we see the fruit of love that changes us and others. We see the, 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 the disciplines of the Spirit that enable us to make real the experience of our salvation and of God's love. And then we see in the power of ministry, as it were, you could use the weights, but it, I mean, sorry, the gifts, a, a picture of a gift. It's the gifts that God gives by his spirit that literally pour out the love, the hospitality, the mercy, the justice, the healing, the liberation, and the grace that changes lives. But all of those happen inside a circle that Jesus creates called community. But the circle is never just a circle. It's a wheel that starts rolling with the momentum of mission. And, and God fully intends the circle of commu uh, community to be the wheel of mission. <laughs> community and mission actually go together. They, they, they're not different dynamics. You can't, when you begin to understand how Jesus modeled and demonstrated life. And so... The first thing I want to say about mission and community, and I'm going to have to wrap up, is they always bring us back to Jesus at the center. Every time we get close to Jesus, how many of you realized this week that you want to do mission with Jesus and you want to do it with others? <laughs> you like really want to dream again. You want to do it. And, and, and when you get close to Jesus, mission starts to stir and you want to touch the lives of others. But when you get close to Jesus, you get close to others and you don't just want to wander off by yourself you want to dream again I think it was Chris you said on Friday morning God has awakened in me the desire to dream again with others I've had to do so much alone and I want to do this with others mission and community going together every time we get close to Jesus And if I can rope in Bevan's sermon, every time we get close to Jesus, <laughs> instead of just introducing us to one another, he introduces us to people from the other side. And so we find ourselves being challenged to go beyond the least, and the lost, the sinner, and the outcast. Because no community that takes Jesus as the center can get away from the reason he came, which in Luke 19 verse 10 is, to seek and save the lost. You want a Jesus community, it's a community that goes on mission.
community itself, when we try and form meaningful relationships, purely for the sake of community, in other words, just to meet our relational needs, this kind of community that's there to meet our needs is invariably always disappointing. But when community is born of shared vision and mission and doing something together that is costly, that matters and that changes lives, let me tell you that that community becomes the byproduct of doing something worthwhile together. And that community will satisfy you down to your bones and back. But there's another biblical paradox, or maybe the word is synergy between these things. You see, if community is the byproduct of doing meaningful mission together, the impact of our mission depends upon the integrity, vulnerability, and depth of our relationships with one another. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This means that our genuine love for one another, not just for the lost and the least, but actually the difficult people among us, like Craig. It's the reality and depth of our love that is the most likely reason that someone will choose to follow Jesus. Now notice what Jesus is saying. It's not the love you show them. And that's, I mean, of course he shows love. But people are tired of hearing information with promises attached. They got, a, they got words for it. It's called fake news. <laughs> what people want to see are working models. And the working models they want to see, they want to be able to look at Christians and know that they really, really love one another. And that will become the most likely reason someone will choose to follow Jesus. And it is this synergy that we're going to need to dig into in these next weeks. And so it's very difficult to pull them apart. Community that is satisfying community is driven by mission. And yet mission that achieves its goal is completely, completely dependent upon community. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this week of prayer. Thank you for the testimonies we've heard. And thank you for the grace that you have given us. And Lord, as we begin to look again at walking as Jesus did over these coming weeks, open our hearts with fresh faith for both mission and community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Cindy's about to bring out the coffee, the tea, the donuts. Yes, the donuts. So well done for sitting through the morning sun. And uh, let's catch up with one another. The Lord bless you. Amen.